Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Now, here's WBEN's Dave Debo. And what a week it is to talk politics. We are sandwiched between those remarks earlier in the week that President Trump made comparing Haiti and some African countries uh, basically to a latrine, saying that he'd rather have, uh, and and I can't repeat his words, obviously, I'm sure you've heard them or read them by now, Uh, basically he'd rather have uh, uh, people come from countries that he couldn't compare to a latrine, like Haiti, uh, would rather have him come from Norway. And that, of course, has sparked all sorts of calls about uh, uh, whether or not the president is a racist. We will be getting to that with Jacob Nyheisel from the University of Buffalo, a political science professor there. And also, sandwiched between those remarks and Monday, tomorrow, of course, is Martin Luther King Day. And I figured uh, one of the best ways maybe to cover both of those with one guest, the ideal person to have on the air at this moment, is George Arthur. You probably know George as uh, the lead plaintiff, maybe, in the Buffalo Schools desegregation case, a leader of the Buffalo NAACP, former president of the Buffalo City Council, a man who was with Martin Luther King in Buffalo uh, back when he visited here, someone who certainly has a lot of depth of knowledge about civil rights and racial issues. Glad to have George Arthur with us this morning. George, thanks for being here. Oh, and John, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure for me to be on your program. I want to start with the, uh, the situation involving Do- Donald Trump. Uh, A senator president of the White House immigration meeting said that he used that vulgar language to uh, describe African countries, saying that he used the words over and over again repeatedly. Senator Dick Durbin told reporters that Trump questioned why the United States would uh, bring in more immigrants from Haiti and then used the, uh, the comparison basically to a latrine more than once. People in Haiti even are reacting to it, too, this morning. Steve Forrester with the Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti says the comments were insulting and part of a bigger picture. We see what is at the heart of immigration policy, keeping this nation for white people and saying to black immigrants... And uh, the the same thing he was saying was echoed by uh, the International Institute on Friday, for example. Eva Hassett, the executive director there, talked about how, to her, this seems inherently racist. We at the International Institute of Buffalo disagree strongly with the implications of the president's words. We believe that every person from every country has value and contributes to the community. We welcome our immigrant and refugee neighbors, value their presence highly, and stand with them as they continue to change our region for the better. So, George, do you agree with Eva? Were the comments, to your mind, racist? Yeah, I, I agree with Eva 100%. And I think that we, it, it's, it's sad that the leader of our country, our nation, uh, doesn't stop to think before he speaks, you know. And, and I don't think he realizes that as president of these United States, that and with his reputation, that every word he says is monitored, is listened to, and it has an effect. And there's an old thing, you know, it, it is better to remain silent and thoughtful than to speak and remove all doubts. 
All right. Uh, for the sake of discussion, if what he was saying, and I, I don't think anyone, even Republicans, are saying the words were ill-chosen, uh, but for the sake of discussion, let, let's uh, let's look at it differently. Let's let's uh, assume that he was saying he wanted people from more prosperous countries, people who could come to our nation and more readily contribute immediately, rather than opening our doors to support people who would need huge amounts of support from the moment they step on U.S. soil. Uh, in that regard, Norway versus Haiti is not necessarily racist. Is it? Is there a chance that, yeah, he didn't say what he meant, but what he meant might not be racist? Well, there's it, it, more than one uh, 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 way of looking at racism, you know, and, and of, of prejudice and, and that's in there. And I would say it, it is, yes, because... You have people who are in Haiti who have money, who have income, who have intelligence, and who can make contributions to the American uh, way of life, as well as those individuals in, Dor- in Norway. And you have those individuals in Norway who are impoverished and would have the same problems that someone from Haiti would have, yes. So to you, it, it's a racial thing, obviously, then. Yes. Yes, All right. Yes, it is. It's very much, and, and it's sad because you know he's the leader. Whether it's him, you, I, or whoever, uh, we're supposed to be the land of opportunity. We're built on immigrants coming to America, and and to now you know do something backwards or, or to prohibit those. And, and his everything that's been said up until now, the wall. Uh, the the immigration change in the the doctors problems and everything else that we're really not addressing in scenario where it's it's leaving us uh, in a sad sad situation and is taking America out of a role of leadership in the world. Let me pick up on something you said earlier: the idea of of different definitions of racism. Yes. Uh, does racism reside? only in the heart, or can it be the comments that someone makes? If someone says something really dumb but doesn't have hatred toward black people or other groups just by virtue of their being part of that group? I think a lot of times it's who the individual is and where it comes from. And as to there's somebody who will say something kind of stupid and racist, and the person may not, may not know better. And you have to look at the individual and say, hey, this is a person, a project that i got to take on to, to educate him and to change his thoughts and his way of life from saying certain things. And there are others who you say, hey, this person should know better. This person should not have been made those particular racist comments. All right. Now, let me play you some remarks earlier. Uh, coming up at 12 noon, we'll replay these as part of Meet the Press here on News Radio 930. Obviously, the program hits the TV a little bit earlier. Here's what Kentucky Senator Rand Paul said this morning. Okay, obviously, it's, it's, uh, I'm having a technical difficulty. Let me read you the quote here. I don't think the comments were constructive at all, but I think that, to be fair, we shouldn't draw conclusions he didn't d- d- defend. I think it's unfair to paint him, oh, well, he's a racist, when I know for a fact he cares very deeply about the people of Haiti because he helped finance a trip where they get vision back for 200 people in Haiti. Can someone be a racist if they say what the president says but still does good things for that country? I would say, yeah. In in what manner does is he 
did he do those things for that country? Was it, you know, there's a little bit more than what Rand Paul is saying. You know, we don't know. Uh, we got to look a little bit behind the scenes. There are those who say certain things in order to, to paint one picture publicly, one privately and deep in, in the heart, there's a whole different uh, way, a different individual, different thoughts that are in in person. So, and particularly those who are on the public scene and in public office, because everyone knows elected officials, it's uh, not supposed to be racist and certain things are off ground. But privately, and that's what happened here, and behind closed doors, the true feelings come out. And that's why you really have to take a look at the individual, who it is, and what to say. And some of the actions may do, they do publicly, is disguising the real feelings, uh, the feelings privately. 803-0930 is our number. George Arthur is here, Buffalo civil rights icon. I, I think uh, a lot of people maybe overuse the word icon, but in this case it certainly applies. Oh, uh, lead lead defendant back in the Buffalo desegregation case, certainly a guy that's involved with uh, racial issues uh, around Buffalo for for decades. George, uh, I, I always pledge that one of these days I'm going to have you on the program when there isn't some sort of crisis in America about race or when it's not Martin Luther King Day. But let's look ahead yes. to tomorrow, the fact that it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, talk to me a little bit about history. You hosted him here once in Buffalo, did you not? I was here with him when he his last appearance in Buffalo was at Klein Hans Music Hall and it was sponsored by the University of Buffalo. And I was one of the uh, individuals who had an opportunity to be there and to be with him. And, and when he left the uh, auditorium, uh, client hands to, to, to accompany him out to the airport where we had an opportunity to sit and talk and discuss things before while waiting for his plane to arrive and, and depart. What do you know about him that we don't? What, what was he like? He was a everyday person. He was really down to earth. Uh, he was a, a thinker. And when you sit and, and listen to him and talk to him, you could see where while you're talking, he's thinking. And, and, but he expressed himself in a way in which we all could understand and we got something out of it. There are individuals that you talk to who... Sometimes, as they say, show their education. You don't know, they're using, you know, million-dollar words and so forth, you don't know what they're saying or what they're really meaning. But with Dr. King, when he was there and talking, uh, you knew what he was saying, you knew what he was meaning, and he was uh, a really a down-to-earth individual. Had he lived, what would he be doing today? What, uh, what would the movement be right now, do you think? He would be having problems. He would be leading a movement... And it's sad that we don't have more outspoken individuals like him. And that he would, at the time, let me compare, at the time when he was here in 67 and so forth, he was, it was one of his lowest times in life. And that was because that he, J. Gavin Hoover and others were labeling him as a communist because of the stand that he had taken on the war in Vietnam and other stands, and they were really trying to uh, do a job on his character and so forth. Some of that I would see happening today because he would be leading a fight to try to maintain 
some of the gains that we had, uh, that he had led us into uh, in, in the past years. And what I mean by that, take a look today at the assault that's going on in the Voting Rights Act and, and things of that nature. You take a look at the gerrymandering that's going on to um, take away the power and the the vote of the uh, minority community and things. And he would be battling that, and he would be battling a Congress that would say one thing and do something else. And I think the most disappointing thing that is happening today that would be one of his major battles would be what they're doing to the United States Supreme Court, the way the court is now becoming politicized and people are beginning to lose the respect for the Supreme Court that they once had. And that, I think, is is a major battle because what the court is now doing is overturning a lot of the gains and the uh, that Dr. King led in the, in the improvements in life, that the quality of life that he had, you know, led to America towards. We've got to take a break, and then we'll pick up the calls right on after that on the other side. But 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 you just mentioned politicization. Before we break, I have to ask you quickly: This he was a Republican, correct? I think so. (laughs) What is affiliation? I think he was. Do you think that the whole uh, movement that he would have been embracing today has been politicized? It now seems to be uh, easy, I think, for for activists to paint uh, people along party lines, no? It's easier to paint along party lines, and that's the sad thing. That is the sad part about what is happening today, is that you have to remember that we had some staunch Republicans and that stood with Democrats when it came to what we considered as doing right. That is not always happening today. All right. When we come back, we'll take some phone calls. 803-0930 is the number. One line open, a chance for you to get in. George Arthur is here, longtime civil rights leader in Buffalo, a man who met with Martin Luther King, and a man who has, obviously, as you heard at the top of the program, some opinions about President Donald Trump, too. More to come. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Good morning. This is Dave Debo. We are talking about racism, Martin Luther King Day, immigration policy in America, President Donald Trump, all of that rolled together with George Arthur. He was a former president of the Buffalo City Council, a leader of the Buffalo NAACP, the man who was the lead defendant in the Buffalo Schools desegregation case. I said it earlier, and George, I, I heard you laugh when I used the word icon, but I think it really applies here. Let's go right to the phones. Uh, we have a full bank right now. We can probably only get to one of them before the newscast, and then we'll, if you're there, you stay on hold. We'll get to you afterwards. Kicking it off with Marty in Hamburg. Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay. Uh, what's the, the percentage of uh, black-brown immigrants compared to the percentage of the white ones? I assume the black-brown are overwhelming. And uh, uh, George mentioned King's uh, communist rumor. If they go on a computer and look for uh, Obama's communist c- connections, I mean, you'll see it's 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 uh, no question. There's a he, he, he had. Uh, communist influence all the way through. Marty, if we're talking about MLK, what's the relevance of President Obama? Well, the, the, the communist connection that he was talking about. All right, to the degree you can, George, uh, jump on in here. Go ahead. The difference was, the big difference was that that uh, King was being investigated by J. Edgar Hoover, and, and 
he did not have any real communist ties, and, and neither did Obama. Obama, the Communist Party is not outlawed the way it was, or not looked upon today is the way it was during King's era. And also, if you recall, even prior to then, Paul Robeson was the same thing, that he was active and he was active and didn't have any real affiliation. I think a lot of things have been said about Obama, uh, about his, his birth uh, issue and a lot of things that are just not true. He's been not a communist, but there are communists that are actually running for office today that didn't run going way back when. All right. Bob in Buffalo, we can squeeze you in before the break. If you're quick, go ahead. Sure. Uh, I watched the movie God's Not Dead 2. They talked about uh, the Reverend Dr. Martha Luther King in the movie, whether he was a reverend or just a uh, normal man. So I'll ask two quick questions. Was he a man of God? Yes, he was. He, he was there, and, and he... Uh, uh, studied the religion and was a licensed minister, if you want to call it that, and so was his father. He followed in his father's footsteps, who was also a pastor of the church there in Atlanta, Georgia. Would he have fought for the right uh, life for the unborn, would be the next question, because I listened to his niece talk about it, and he was a fighter for life, but yet most of the politicians want abortion. Well, this is... Thank you. In, in, in life, while uh, King was for a woman's choice... I think his niece is is for um, uh, for life, and so there's there's a difference there that he didn't let enter into you know his uh, um, his philosophy and, and his his preaching. All right, eight oh three oh nine thirty is our number. If you're on hold, stay right there. We'll get you after the news break. George Arthur is here again. We're talking a little bit about Martin Luther King Day and certainly the state of race relations in America. Also looking obviously at comments earlier this week. In, uh, in in the White House involving President Trump. And this just came in on our text line, George. We'll, we'll get your answer to it uh, after the break, but I want to toss it out here and give you a chance to think. If a white person uses the N-word, is he always a racist? The texter is trying to put forth the argument, at least, that, uh, that sometimes uh, intent is automatically applied because a person is white whereas black people would be able to get away with more. I want to ask you more about that when we return. We'll take some more calls, too. 803-0930 is the number. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Capitol Hill lawmakers trying to, again, to reach a deal on DACA, DACA before the government runs out of money on Friday. This is in the wake of reports that President Trump used a vulgarity about Haiti and Africa in a meeting last week. Well, Republican Senator David Perdue of Georgia who was in the meeting, denied the president said it. He was on this week with George Stephanopoulos. I'm telling you he did not use that word, George, and I'm telling you it's a gross misrepresentation. And on that same show, Democratic Congressman John Lewis of Georgia was clear. Do you think President Trump is a racist? I think he is a racist. Lewis says he is in favor of a House motion to censure Trump. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. George Arthur is with us, Buffalo civil rights icon, former president of the Buffalo City Council, a lead defendant in the Buffalo Schools desegregation case. I could go on and on. Uh, George, before the break, we were raising an argument here that I think someone's trying to put forth on the text line. Let me read you what just came in there. If you're a white Republican, you're automatically a racist, but if you're a Democrat, you get a pass. One senator is accusing Trump of saying these words, and he's automatically guilty. During the newscast, you probably heard there, Georgia Senator Sonny Perdue is saying he didn't say it. Senator Dick Durbin is saying he did. 
can can we give him the benefit of the doubt here and assume that this is all politics? What do you say? Well, I think when you read the quotes from the other individual, other individuals who were in that very same room, it appears as though that's what he did say. Uh, take a look at the um, uh, Lindsey Graham, what he said, and a couple others uh, about Trump's remark uh, that's in the room. So you, you have to say that uh, it isn't. I can understand Republican trying to downplay the what the president said because he's he's protecting his leader and a member of his party is versus. But when other members of his party are alluding and saying that, yes, that's what he said, then that's what he has to kind of believe. Similarly, here's another one from the text line. If I'm not white and I think Haiti is a latrine, my words, the, the text are actually used the same ones that the president did. Right. If, if I'm not white and I think Haiti is a latrine, am I a racist? Can we, can we remove race for a moment? Can we actually say, okay, forget the fact that Haiti is black and Norway is right, and just look at the quality of life in Haiti compared to Norway and judge his statements differently because of that. Yeah, you, you can because it's different people uh, appreciate different environments and live in different environments and look at things differently. And because a person doesn't look and see something the same way as, as I do or you do, you can't automatically call that individual a racist or a hater or something else. You know, You also have to take a look at the person. And for you, the president's actions on other issues is enough to put the racist label on him. When you take a look at everything that he has has done and said, and not only concerning uh, well the border, the Muslims, the issues, and, and the other smaller countries, you take a look what he did with Puerto Rico, the feelings, the difference in Puerto Rico as to what happened in Texas and others. You just take a look all the way down the line in his past history, and you got to say, hey, you got to question his his um, uh, motives, his intent, and and, and his um, uh, character. Tony and Clarence, it looks like you have a similar comment to make. Go ahead, come on in. Absolutely, a history of this man and his father. They, you look at the housing discrimination case made by the federal government in the seventies about the apartments he wouldn't rent to the to the blacks. That's the first instance. And then you can go on to, uh, to a lot of other issues with him involving uh, the African-American community. Well, what, what about the fact that uh, he, uh, had, he was the first birther against a black president? Yeah. If Obama had been a white man, would he have done the same thing? Uh, and by the way, he's really what I would call an economic racist. Because what he's pointing out is he doesn't want people to come from countries that are poor because they, he says they won't contribute to this nation. So basically, he's, he's, he's an equal opportunity racist. But, but, but I, I can almost take that argument and turn it around for you, Tony. If, if he's looking at it as an issue of economics, bring in people that we won't have to support as readily, bring in people that uh, could, could hit the ground running and contribute, then it doesn't become a racial issue. Is it still racist in, in that regard if you look at it as economics? Well, let me point out another thing. In the Central Park Five case... Uh, answer the first one first, though, for me, Tony. If we're talking economics, how is that racist? I'm talking about the things that he did. What actions he took. 
He took out a whole page of an advertisement in the New York Times accusing the five black kids as being the killers. Am I right or wrong, George? You're, you're right. You're right, Tony. He, 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 you got to remember, Donald Trump is not has never been really uh, associated with a lot of black people or anybody from the black. His economic, his training, his schooling, everything he's done, he's been privileged. So he doesn't know what it means to be poor. He doesn't know what it means to make any sacrifices. But but George, there too. Let me see if I can get an answer from you where I didn't from Tony. If it becomes an economic argument and race is not part of the equation, is it therefore racist? Well, it, it, it is in the, in the roundabout way. Yes, it is. Because it, you, you, gotta, you have to put, when you're talking economics, you're talking money, and, and you're talking about the, the, what you're accustomed to. He's not accustomed to. And there's racial economics as well because he doesn't deal with people of color. All right, Russ in Hamburg, it's your turn on the air. Hi, good morning. First of all, uh, it's a privilege to be on the phone with George Arthur. He is uh, one of the great ones. I've known him for a long time. And, George, uh, Happy New Year to you. Uh, listening to you is uh, right. getting wisdom uh, directly from an unimpeachable source. I will tell you something, though. I agree with George uh, on, on this sense. Donald Trump, I don't think, is a racist, but I think he's racially insensitive. Yeah. I think he's racially insensitive because he he has not had any experience with the with the black experience, the exposure to black people. I worked for a guy by the name of Jack Kemp, who, by the way, took an awful lot of grief for voting for the Martin Luther King holiday as a Republican. What are you doing, Jack? What are you doing? Yeah. A lot of people don't know, and George, you can verify this, Martin Luther King was a Republican. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier. Russ, by the way, the, when you mentioned Kemp, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, chime in here. Russ is Russ Gugino, a former Kemp aide from back in the day. Kemp, of course, uh, from his days in the NFL, certainly had a lot of exposure to black people at a time when the average white guy didn't necessarily have that kind of mingling, didn't have that kind of experience. That really uh, infused his being, and it sounds like you're saying it did so in ways that Donald Trump is, is completely devoid of. Oh, there's no question about it. That, uh, but there's a difference between, and maybe not much of a difference for some people, between being racially insensitive. A lot of us are, yeah. And by being a racist, that to be a racist is really to be a bigot in every way that you see an individual. I don't think that that's true of Donald Trump. You know, black unemployment today is the lowest it has ever been in the history of the United States since they've been taking records. It's six point eight percent under Obama. It's sixteen. It was sixteen point eight percent. Does that mean that Obama was a racist? Of course not. But you have to say that if he's taking policies in the United for his economic policies that are bringing jobs to people and especially the minority community, that's not being racially insensitive. That's being extremely sensitive to the to the community. George, it's been said that if Martin Luther King were alive today, his, his cause wouldn't be so much a racial one, but a poverty one. If Russ is right, if, if, if Donald Trump is bringing economic prosper, prosperity to both minority and white communities, uh, how, how could he be a racist? Well, the, the one thing you'd have to take a look at is uh, what, what are the jobs and what is the, the jobs paying? Because while there, there's a lot of employment that, that may be going on in employment, but it is, why then are we arguing over a $15 uh, uh, minimum wage that will take place two, three years from now? Sure. 
you know, and it won't have any effect and things of that nature. The, the income of blacks. Yeah. Today. Yeah, it's the income. A year ago, is up $1,000 per person. $1,000 per person. That's not insignificant. No, well, it is when 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 you're only making ten thousand and you go to eleven thousand and the cost of living is thirteen thousand, Russ. There's a, and I agree with it. While the, the the other question that when I heard the, the statistics is how many people in the black community are not working are not looking for jobs now, which makes it unemployment to figure look at your point. The factors that are involved. Point there, but at least you can, you have to say this. Yeah. The, the African-American population as a group are economically better off now than they have been in the last 10 to 20 years at the very least. I'd say yes. I, I would agree with you there. R- Russ, do you think that is... people? Two million less people are on food stamps, many of them blacks, but in the last year, but, two million people have gotten off of food stamps. Why? Because they don't need them. Well, no, no, no. I, I won't say that. I, I won't say. I, I think we're maybe reading a little bit more in there than was actually there. I think that people are off of food stamps because also it's getting harder to uh, uh, qualify for food stamps, just like it is for a lot of these other programs that that are, that just to help the economy and, and black folks that they had to turn to. There are fewer and fewer programs. And the sad thing is that as people are getting off of these different programs, they're going into a way of a life of crime. And that's why, you know, some of the, the drug problems and the other stuff within the minority community, and, and it's greatly increasing in the white community as well. But it's forcing them into that life of crime. Russ, I'm late for my break. Before we get to the break, though, I do want to see if George can at least maybe agree with you on the idea of of there being a difference between racial insensitivity and racist intent. That, that's right. And let me just say this. And and you would still put President Trump in the, the latter category, though, not just racial insensitive? What are you talking about, Russ or me? No, you, you, you George. I, I, I still, yes. From what I've seen, it, it's, it's racial insensitivity in Trump's part. He's never really been exposed to a lot of black people. He doesn't understand the way of life. He doesn't understand the customs. He is thinking of him, and in, in, he's still in his ivory tower. All right. When we come back from break, a couple more calls. And then after, after 11 o'clock, uh, we'll look at some of the political fallout of all of this. We'll talk more about President Trump and the remarks this week. Professor Jacob Nyheisel will be with us from the Political Science Department at the University of Buffalo. Stay with us. More to come. Your calls to 803-0930 is the number. George Arthur is with us. Buffalo civil rights icon on the day here before Martin Luther King Day. It's News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. On the line with us, George Arthur, former president of the Buffalo City Council and a man who actually hosted Martin Luther King Jr. on his last visit to Buffalo. Back in, uh, l- let me reminisce here, you said it earlier, uh, uh, George, 1969, right before he was killed? Seven. 
It was, okay. He left here, went to Europe, and then from Europe he came back, and that's when he was assassinated. All right. We are also talking, obviously, about the situation this week with President Donald Trump. Several people calling him a racist earlier in the program. Some people saying, no, it's just racial insensitivity. After his remarks comparing Haiti to a latrine country, saying we need more people coming from places like Norway than Haiti. 803-0930 is the number. We can squeeze in just a couple of more quick calls. Can and, I just say one? Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. And that was this, that Russ talked about Jack Kemp. And when you think of Jack Kemp as a conservative Republican, you also have to think of one other person. Bill Miller from Lockport, if you recall, was a Republican. He also ran for vice president. Yeah, Barry Goldwater's running mate back in the day. Both were considered as conservative Republicans. Both were very friendly towards the black community because they understood what was going on. And in through all their conservatism, they supported the causes to advance. They, they supported those issues to, to help advance the quality of life for the minority community. Do you think both parties have moved so far, though, that you can't necessarily point to someone now? Uh, I, I don't want to say yeah. all Republicans are racist, all Democrats are progressive. All Republicans are racist. I'm just saying it's very hard uh, uh, to say so nationally. There, there are a few who are there who stick out. But most are afraid to come out because they're afraid of what Trump's going to uh, tweet about them. All right. And surely Kemp was in that category. I, I think anyone. Uh, Trump needs to take a look at Kemp and at Bill Miller's history and, and their, their approach to things. All right. Back to the phones. Rambo Jim, you're up now. Jim in North Tonawanda. Hi. Experience I've uh, had because white liberals always want to portray minorities if they're such tolerant, wonderful people. It's a bunch of crap. They're not all tolerant, wonderful people. Before I retired one day, I was at work, and I had brought in a sub from Subway, and there was ham on the sub. And this black Muslim guy tells me, I'm offended by your eating that. Well, I did something that he never thought any white man would do. I exploded on him verbally. I told him, if you don't get away from me, I'll pour gasoline on you and set you on fire. Okay, now now let's put this in the context, though. You were a correction officer. You had to meet brutality with brutality. Am I right? Yeah, this, I was working with this idiot, and he starts telling me that he's offended by what I'm eating. Who do these people think they are? They're going to tell the white man? They're going to tell me I'm a white man, and I can't get a sub from Subway and have what I want on my sub? So I want you to know something. I am so defiant every single time now. I order a sub, I order double ham. When I go to a restaurant, there's ham on the uh, menu. I order ham. My sister's husband said he doesn't like ham. I told my sister's husband. Don't. And, and, and make it relevant for us, Jim. Uh, you feel you were a victim of reverse racism in that particular case? Tie it into the current discussion for me. He was trying to intimidate me and get up in my face, only I got up in his face. But then I told him I was so... I. I, what I wanted to do was grab him by the throat. Well, Jim, though, don't you think that though the, that was religious racism because of his race? He there are certain races that say don't eat pork, don't eat certain meats, and those individuals who are in those races are not all black. They're white as well as black. And let's say the 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 Muslim race, and there are black Muslims as well as there are white Muslims. And that's the teaching of their religion, just like the other religions that the, the teaching is that you and I both don't agree with. In that situation, I would agree with you, you know. 
but I, I wouldn't let it get my disagreement go into hatred. All right, Frank, uh, we've got to move because we've got to squeeze as many in as we can. Frank in Niagara Falls, you're up now. Hi. You know, it isn't about uh, race, creed, or culture. President Trump, like most Silver Spoon Trust Fund babies, they hate poor people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, fil- it filters down to every aspect to, of uh, U.S. society, and I can prove it. You know, like the patient dummy dumping by hospitals or, or how Spectrum... A cable is disconnecting poor and disabled people from Internet access. You know, in one case, a middle-aged disabled white guy is involved in a major civil rights lawsuit and was put at a disadvantage as trial nears because his Internet was cut because he can't afford the price hikes, the fees, the penalties. You know, if you think about it, um, you know, all this satellite technology was paid for by the U.S. taxpayers. It's something we touched on a little bit earlier, but but George, come on in. Frank, I think, has raised it to, to the top. It's the privilege, and they take a different look of life because they haven't had to make the sacrifices that you and I, and that's the problem, I think, with, with the president, that he's never had to make the sacrifices, and he's not used to anybody telling him no. If Martin Luther King Jr. were alive today, crusading today, could we argue that his crusade would be more of a, a, a have and have not thing rather than a black and a white thing? It would be. I, I agree that it would be broadened and it would be a have to, uh, against the have nots and, and the have, and that he would be followed by not only black folks but by poor whites as well. And in that context, let me go back to what Russ Gagino was saying earlier. Russ is a former camp aide. He said that uh, that in some ways President Trump can't be labeled a racist because he's elevating the economies of black and white, that he's engaged in that struggle uh, of, of entrepreneurism versus poverty. No? I would somewhat disagree. With, I think you can't make that statement just yet. You can't make it after the first year because the impact of, of, of Trump is really not there yet. We're going to see what happens come next year and after if all these jobs that he's talking about is going to come about and if those jobs are going to go to people of of, uh, uh, of a certain uh, uh, poverty group and a certain color. Uh, let's see what happens. I think it's a little early to make those kind of uh, judgments right now. All right, George, I know you only signed up for the first hour, but we got one call on hold. Can I hold you after the news break and we'll bring that call in and then we'll let you go? Okay. All right, very good. George Arthur is with us, civil rights icon in Buffalo. Again, I hate to recite the entire resume, but I think it's really relevant to understand who this guy is. Lead plaintiff in the Buffalo civil rights school desegregation case, longtime member of the Buffalo NAACP and a former president of the Buffalo City Council. Much more to come. We'll look at the political side next, too, when we bring in Professor Jacob Nyheisel from UB. Much more. Stay with us. It's Hardline on News Radio 930, WBEN Buffalo. Time to talk politics. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Now, here's WBEN's Dave Debo. Let's continue our discussion now. This, of course, is the day before Martin Luther King Jr. Day. This, of course, was the week where President Trump got all sorts of criticism 
for those remarks comparing basically Haiti to a latrine and saying that he wanted uh, more immigration from countries like Norway. George Arthur is still with us. George is a former president of the Buffalo City Council and basically an iconic civil rights leader here in Western New York. A little bit later, we'll bring in uh, Professor Jacob Nyheisel, too, from the University of Buffalo. But, uh, George, there was one call holding over from the last hour, so let's bring in uh, John, and then we'll let you go. Hi, John. You're on the air. Hello, George, and I just want to say keep your eye on the prize. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think the Republican Party, I just want to mention about, like, is Trump a racist or maybe the whole Republican Party leans racist? And the answer is yes. Um, Representation in Congress, in the House, in the Senate, in the Republican Party is 96% white. Okay, it's 100% Christian. So that leaves 5% women and 4% minority. And of the 4% minority representation in Congress, 2% is Cuban. So that leaves 2% for every other race, racial element of the United States. So the Republican Party represents one group of people white Christian people, or at least white who say they're Christian. Without intent, John, can you say that that is racism, or is it just the way people have voted? You, you see my point? I believe they are a racist party. You watch Fox News for a while, and the, you know it used to be coded racism, like Reagan would say, uh, welfare queens and bucks buying steaks with food stamps. But I believe Trump just completely has brought it out of the closet, and now it's just, and that makes the real fire... I mean, I'm not saying every person who votes Republican is a racist, but the uh, the people who are love him being yeah. president. And after he made those comments about Haitians and stuff, you can see people like Spencer and Duke just uh, tweeting out how happy they are about it, or the Grand Wizard of the KKK, yeah. um, the guy who runs a racist website. Sure, sure. Um, so he's given... You have to, it's, it's sad but true, where it's almost 2020, but... You keep taking one step, two steps forward, and we have to take, it seems like we have to take one step back in this country because uh, that's how you take away people's rights. Yeah. Uh, or you take about, like, look at the black soldiers fought in the Civil War. They fought in World War One. By World War Two, they weren't allowed to serve in the ranks. All right, what do you say, George? Yeah, I, I'm saying he's absolutely correct because what he's done is, is he's giving new life to all of the racism that, that's been hidden. And that's why you find that today... There are those people who are out there trying to reorganize chapters of the Ku Klux Klan and, and so many others, and that's because they're listening to Trump and, and the uh, the encouragement that he is giving them in a roundabout way. All right. Before we let you go, let me ask you, what do you do tomorrow? Uh, do you go to any of the uh, celebrations? Is there anything particular that you want the public to know about and, and, and how they should celebrate Martin Luther King Day, George? I think each individual has to celebrate it in a different way. I celebrate the life of Martin Luther King every day, not just one day. Until tomorrow, my wife and I will be here, we'll be home, and we do it quietly. All right. Thanks so much for your time today. Glad you could join us. All the audience, and have a good day, Dave. You too. That's George Arthur, former president of the Buffalo City Council, and again, uh, a man who hosted Martin Luther King while he was in town back in 1967, a guy who was the uh, lead defendant in the Buffalo School desegregation case. Not only someone who, who brings in, as you heard there, I think some pretty reasoned discussion, but a guy who obviously has a little bit of a historical pedigree that I, I feel I've got to mention. Now, let's talk more about the politics of all of this. You heard the last caller say that when you look at the composition 
of the Republican Party, the issues that the Republican Party makes, it's pretty easy for people to call them racist. Let's bring in Jacob Nyheisel. He's a professor of political science at the University of Buffalo. Jacob, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show, Dave. Your reaction to that call. What do you say? Um, yeah, as a social scientist, I have the good fortune of perhaps being a little more clinical about this than, but than he, others. <laughs> he, did have, he did have statistics there. I, I'm assuming they're valid. I don't know them personally to say that they are, but he backed it up with numbers. So, so bring your, your social sciences perspective there. Can we say that the makeup of the Republican Party is racism or need there be intent? I, I'm on the side that there there needs to be something more. I don't know if it approaches intent, but there there needs to be something. So I'm by training more of a political psychologist, and we have numbers of racism batteries that we use to gauge somewhat implicitly. Uh, other times are more overt measures to get at individual level racism. And you know, without administering a number of those tests to the individuals representing people or representing members of the Republican Party, I'm hesitant to say that just because you vote for particular policies that you also have racism in your heart. Um, so can you then, based on what he said about Haiti compared to a latrine and Norway being the kind of place we want more people from, can you separate the policy from the, 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 uh, the rhetoric? It's very difficult, absolutely. Um, I, again, falling back on my, my crutch, which is um, as a social scientist, I'd like to say that theoretically we can, right? There are um, a number of studies from the 1980s on forward who tried to separate the old racism from the new racism. The old racism would be, you know, very overt calls to uh, racist positions, whereas the new racism Keep is... Keep that black guy against, uh, it, away from that water it, fountain, that exactly, kind of stuff. Uh, exactly. Keep um, him off my school bus, that stuff. And, and then there's a lot of research suggesting that it, it, it's morphed into a new racism, which is more policy-based. That's where we're in a ter territory that, for me, becomes tricky because I can have certain policy positions that don't have racist intent, uh, but they actually do end up having something of a, to use a legalistic term, more of a differential impact. Um, and, and then it becomes somewhat grayer. All right. Now, in light of that, what kind of political fallout do you see for the president because of these remarks? Uh, as some folks in the media have suggested, um, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, the Trump base is is so dedicated that uh, this probably isn't going to drive them away. Maybe some people at the margins are, are going to to recoil from this, but I, I think that the given the polarized situation in American politics, people are invested in Trump and they're going to double down. All right, let's bring back in John in Buffalo. I think it's the same caller we had uh, right before uh, with George. Your reaction to what Jacob just said? Hi. Are you there, John? You look at the geography of it, and you, like, if you looked at the map of Bush winning the election, it's basically the North versus the South. It's the former slave-holding states voting for Bush. It's the North, the Union, voting against him. I mean, there's so many comparisons you can see to where... And the whole thing about this, so there's just no black or... Of differing religions in the Republican Party. Every Muslim, well, there's not many, maybe one, but every Jew in the House of in Congress is a Democrat or independent. There's not one Republican. The only Republican was Eric Cantor, who was he was primaried out. He didn't lose to a Democrat. He lost to his own party. So they threw him out of their own party. So you have to be Christian. You have to be white. And the Constitution itself says there should be no religious tests to hold public office, but there is one if you're going to hold office as a Republican. 
Do you think, though, that is because, I would bet the argument can be made, we have gerrymandered things so much that in order to avoid the kind of primary challenge you just spoke of, you have to tack to the far right. Or if you're on the Democratic side, you have to tack more to the left. And in the process, you end up getting what you just described rather than something that is is clearly out of racist intent but a byproduct of this primary system and the uh, gerrymandering. Would you agree? few more examples. Their absolute hatred of Barack Obama. President Trump doesn't really have a policy of his own. His only policy seems to be undoing anything the first black president did. He doesn't seem to have any of his own initiatives other than trying to destroy everything Barack Obama did, and that pleases his base. So I'm going to go back uh, real quickly to, to something you're talking about with religions. So that, that hits a little close to home because I, I do study religion and politics. And one of the points that I've made in a couple of articles that have been published have been that you really get a chicken and egg type problem when you're tar- starting to talk about representation and religious makeup of districts and religious makeup of Congress. And that is, are the Republicans in Congress disproportionately white Christians because that's who they represent? Or is there something about the primary process on the Republican side that leads to those kinds of candidates and the people that they eventually come on to go on to represent? And I'm not the professor, but it's the latter that I would put forth, just guessing right. here. It's, uh, it's by and large the, the people that they represent. It turns out that, you know, constituencies look a lot like the people they represent. Uh, and that, it, we think, is the causal path, right? We have a, a district that comprised of a certain kind of demographic composition, and you typically get somebody who's from the sort of majority of that demographic composition representing them in Congress. And, and it's more... I, I hasten to read a lot of intent into that. We we can talk about gerrymandering, and, and that could be a, an explanation for this. It could be directed in the sense that we're trying to make these fairly homogenous types of enclaves. That could be the case. But in, when we're trying to make the connection between representation and a particular composition of a constituency, that becomes a, a difficult causal process to disentangle. The uh, Another point I would make is about Muslims, about their the, – and, it's, it, you know, you could say for a while it was just Fox News maybe or those types of people, Rush Limbaugh with the hatred towards Muslim Muslims in general. They don't differentiate. They just hate Muslims. And um, you point out to them, hey, you know, there's, there's Muslim Americans fighting in the United States Armed Forces fighting for you. They don't care. Right. They just, and it's just pure hatred against Muslims. And actually, we have a much bigger problem about people attacking Muslims and people they think are Muslims in this country and burning mosques and vandalism and hatred against them than we do with any kind of al-Qaeda group terrorizing the United States. John, I'm glad you called back. It was interesting stuff, but I do have to move on. Let's bring in another John, our, our regular John from Rochester. Hi. Dave. Uh, hey, Professor. Hey. You know, I got to say, uh, I think, Professor, you hit it on the head. It's the uh, electorate, the base of the electorate. I'll give you an example. City, uh, city of Rochester, we have a black woman mayor, lovely Warren. Do, you, do I think she's the most qualified person to be mayor of Rochester? No, not at all. She's very naive, and she's got a lot of uh, flaws. She's got some positive things, obviously. But Rochester is a majority-minority city, is it not? Uh, yes, it is. So that proves my, that, that proves my point as far as uh, uh, you know, the previous caller calling the Republican Party racist uh, because they elect uh, white Christians. Uh, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I, and by the way, I'm not a Republican. I used to be a Democrat, but I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, they've gone too far to the left. But I want to make a comment on Donald Trump. Okay. Donald Trump, in his statement, 
I think was accurate. I wouldn't have used the S word. I would have used hellhole. Why do you think these people are coming, these immigrants, legal and illegal, are flocking to the United States? They're, they're hellholes. People don't flee Morocco. People flee Haiti. Right. And in fact, bringing up Haiti, that's another thing. The Dominican Republic, which is basically in the same vicinity. Yeah, the, the, the island of Dominica, half is Haiti, half is the Dominican. Go ahead. Exactly. The, Dominican, the, the Dominicans are racist because they don't like the Haitians in general. They discriminate against Haitians. But but it, unless you can say that discrimination is because of their race, I'm not sure you can go to the next step and well, say it's racist, John. The point is this. It's a hellhole. Nothing to do with race. The, the Dominicans are also, a, you, they would be a minority race in the United States. There are people of color for the most part. But they have discriminated against uh, Haitians because Haiti is a hellhole. All right, Jacob, come on in. Certainly. Um, yeah, I, I think we could we could argue back and forth whether it's racist or not. And again, I, I happily can fall back on the fact that I can be somewhat clinical about that as a social scientist. But you know, I think we could also look to the optics of it and to the strategy involved that this is a fairly inartful distraction on, on Trump's part. And, and, you know, whether it you, is you or is not was, something. You think it was an intentional diversion to try and make a bigger argument about immigration? I really don't think it, much of anything lately is intentional from from Trump, but it um, blurt. Right, it's it's his style of politics, which is a particular brand that some people really seem to like, and that it is anti elitist in in many ways. But it uh, distracts from a lot of the issues. Right, we are up against a government shutdown deadline. Right, we need to, to be able to fund the government. Uh, there are questions involving the future of DACA, and then if you're on. Trump's side and you want that wall to be built, this is all integral to that. And instead, we're talking about whether a country is or is not a bad place to live. All right. Let's uh, squeeze one more call in before the break here. We go to Kevin and Pendleton. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, uh, yeah. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, you know something? Um, I think there is some documented, documented evidence that when Lyndon Johnson passed the Civil Rights Bill, a comment was made that he used that dirty N-word saying with the passage of this, the ends will be voting Democrat for the how many years? And here's a spoiler alert, people. Martin Luther King, the Democratic Party don't have a monopoly on Mr. King and his legacy. And as a matter of fact, one of the best kept secrets, and it never put it in the history books, Martin Luther King is a conservative today if he existed. And by the way, he was a Republican. Just yeah. Alex Haley who wrote Roots. Right. Now, now let me ask you, Kevin. Obviously, I hear your accent, and people are familiar with you as Kevin from Pendleton. I know you ran uh, for Congress against Chris Collins as an independent uh, in the primary last time around. You're a guy who we've heard a couple times before, but I'm trying to remember your background. Uh, you're not from Haiti. You're from Jamaica, are you? Uh, in Caribbean, uh, Trinidad. And by the way, Tr okay. the, major co the major concern of Jamaicans and even anybody in the Caribbean, right, about uh, here in the United States is about, guess what, the murder rate in our countries, black-on-black -black crime, right? We have the same problem, just like in America, right, where we really don't have real leaders written the black population, right, genuine leaders, like Mr. King, right? Today, we don't have that, right? And, that's that, and that is the, the biggest problem we have 
right now. All right, Kevin, I'm going to have to let you go. We haven't taken a break yet, and rather than take it and then squeeze in just 30 seconds of caller, we'll go to Frank in Williamsville here now and wrap it up. Go ahead. Hi, Frank. Real quick, I just would like to ask the opinion of the, of the, the, the guest there. If you could just substitute the word poverty versus racism, if you could, if you could give me a, uh, what your view on that was, because I think what we're talking about here, are, <coughs> excuse me, our poor countries, and that we don't want that kind of person to come as, a, as an immigrant who just needs aid versus people in, 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 in richer areas where, if you look at racism politically and, and versus um, um, poverty and social status, I think there's an overlay. Sure. If Haiti was not black and if Norway was not white, could we just say poor countries, rich countries? I think we absolutely could. I mean, so one of the arguments would be to to make that kind of substitution, then it becomes not racist in intent. But when we're going through the court systems, obviously none of this has been litigated just yet, but when we're talking about things such as differential impact, the courts are increasingly looking to, okay, how much overlap is there? And this has come up in some of the recent gerrymandering cases. Yes, you're trying to put all Democrats in one district. That's great. That is your stated intent. But when those are minority Democrats, that becomes differential in terms of impact. So long term, this whole racial uh, discussion will eventually trickle down into the idea of whether gerrymandering is even a good idea or not. I think that's that's where it's going. Uh, you know, the, the courts have said for many years that uh, uh, political gerrymanders are not justiciable, right? They don't want to touch that. That's not something they want to get into a political question. But increasingly, they signaled that because these things map on so closely to racial distinctions, they are in effect going to be racial gerrymanders. And if we want to scale that up to the conversation we're having about different countries, there is a racial component to this, even though we could very easily say it's about economics or about poverty. Oh, man, you've given me a great idea for another show at another time, especially <laughs> I know that the Supreme Court's going to be looking at gerrymandering later this year, too. Yes, so absolutely. We'll have you back. We're going to do that. Absolutely. Jacob Nyhagsel, thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 